Well, on the Western church calendar, 12 days of Christmas, known as Christmas Tide, officially ended this last Thursday. The 12 days of Christmas. So I'm hoping that you've been able to get rid of the geese and the maids and the dancers and especially the drummers that were probably causing lots of noise, making messes in your house. Friday was the day known as Epiphany, also referred to as Three Kings Day or sometimes the the Feast of the Kings. In the Western Church, it's traditionally been a celebration of the appearance or the manifestation of of Jesus. In the Eastern Church, it is that, but they also do a little bit more with, with Jesus' baptism on Epiphany. You know, the, the Magi, those, those shadowy, mysterious figures who appear in Matthew's Gospel, they, uh, they came from the East. We think perhaps Persia or Southern Arabia. We don't really know. They arrived in Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the East and have come to worship him. That bright star shining in the darkness, led the Magi to their epiphany. Light and darkness. Epiphany. Seeing the light. Important themes found all through Scripture. And and it's those themes that have been for me the kind of the idea that's been percolating in my head behind this this New Year sermon series. I'm, I'm calling it Light for Daily Living. I don't think you ought to write that down. That's really not that special, but it's just what came to me. You know, in, in Scripture, the contrast of light and darkness is most often a spiritual analogy for God. Light, for humanity, lives in darkness. It's about life with God and life without God. John wrote, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, biologically speaking, we know how important light is for the growth of of plant life and other living organisms. We know that seasonal affective disorder, acronym SAD, is a real thing. It is a real problem for a lot of folks who live in places where they're just not getting a whole lot of, of sunshine. It's important to our daily existence, as is the light of God, essential to our lives as well. Certainly for eternity, we know that, but also for daily living. And that's, that's where we want to go. Listen to these words from John's Gospel. Lee's going to stand up and read a few verses from chapter 1. Listen closely. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And He was light, and that light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone that was coming into the world. He was in the world, 
Thanks, Lee. Lots of light there in that text, talking about Jesus, the Word of God. John says, with God in the beginning, and in fact, God himself, who came into the darkness of the world. And when he came, because he was God, he brought the life of God that would become the light to all mankind who would put their faith in him. Jesus was, and he still is, light in the darkness. The light of God in the darkness of the world in which we live to show lost humanity the way to a life with God. 1954. Navy pilot set out on a night training mission off of an aircraft carrier near the coast of Japan. While he was taking off in stormy weather, his directional finder suddenly malfunctioned. So he mistakenly headed in the wrong direction. To make matters worse, his instrument panel, for some reason, suddenly short-circuited causing all the lights in the cockpit to go out. He writes, I looked around and could see absolutely nothing. The blackness outside the plane had suddenly come inside. So nearing despair, he looked down and thought that he saw a faint blue-green glow sort of trailing along in a line in the ocean. And his training had prepared him for this moment, and he knew in an instant what he was seeing. It was a cloud of phosphorescent algae glowing in the sea that had been stirred up by the engines of the ship. He writes, It was the least reliable and most desperate method of piloting a plane back onto a ship. But he knew it was his only chance. And that's what he did. His life was saved by millions of little lights called bioluminescent dinoflagellates. Say that five times real fast. It's a tiny, single-celled organism that contains a light-producing compound in its body. Have you ever been in a really dark place? Physically dark place? I don't mean just sort of dark. The kind of dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face dark. I remember sleeping in a hut in the jungle of Indonesia. If it was a cloudy night, and by the way, it's a rainforest. Most of the nights were cloudy. You could see absolutely nothing. I I remember waking in the night and groping around for my flashlight. I would leave it, try to leave it, in exactly the same spot every night when I went to sleep. Because trust me, you can't see it. You know, without the flashlight, there's no finding the flashlight kind of a thing. And and, and I, I just remember that it wasn't a huge flashlight, but it felt like when it clicked on, it felt like a floodlight in that hut. It was incredible because the darkness was, was disorienting. I, I can remember a couple of nights just waking up and laying there and, 
And, and it was just weird. It's just no sense of space and, and what's around me. And, and, and almost, almost suffocating. It was so dark. That's the kind of darkness that Scripture is describing when it refers to darkness as life apart from God. We're not talking dusky dark. We're talking lights out, can't see my hand in front of my face, disoriented, sometimes suffocating darkness. And it's that darkness in which we live in this world. And it's into that darkness that God sent his son. You know, we just celebrated the Advent season, which is all about Jesus coming to seek and save the lost, those who live in darkness apart from the life-giving light of God. Now, text for this series is, is going to be from Isaiah 9. It's, it's a familiar one because we used it in the Advent season. You'll recognize it, but, but it's, it's the historical context that really sort of grabbed my attention, made me think that this would be a good study to start our, our new year together. So let me give you just a little bit of history, and then we're going to stand and, and read together, and, and the verses will, will sound familiar to, I'm sure, most of you right away. This comes from a, from a period of time in Israel's history that's about 700 years before the, the birth of Jesus. Isaiah was a prophet to Judah in the southern kingdom. And his prophecy begins and ends with a condemnation of those who rebel against God. And and remember, he's prophesying to the people of God. So in that condemnation are included the people of God. He's speaking to a very troubled nation. You might remember the name King Uzziah. There was a a long line of kings in both the northern and southern kingdoms. Uzziah had not been dead that long, perhaps a decade or two, and things had really gone downhill in the southern kingdom. King Ahaz was on the throne. He was a jerk, just, just to put it right out there. He was a godless man. Uh, He was an evil man. And there was enormous unrest in Jerusalem and in the region of Judea. Great concern about Assyria, world power to the north, conquering country after country after country. And Assyria had a scorched earth policy. They left no prisoners. They left very few structures standing. And so life in Jerusalem when Isaiah brings this prophecy is really fragile. There is great fear. There is great concern for the future. There is a desperate seeking of someone, anyone, that might give them counsel and encouragement and hope for the future. Now, I have to say that even though this is ancient Israel, I couldn't help but think that it's somewhat of a commentary on our world today in in many, many ways. Great fear, great concern for the future, 
a desperation in, in wanting someone to, to fix the mess that is our world. Wars and fear of war, political unrest. There are a lot of folks in our own country who are just dreading January 20th. What is going to become of us? Listen to what the prophet says at the end of Isaiah chapter 8. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Duh. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and God's testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light in them. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Wow. You hear the emphasis there? Consult God. God's instruction, God's laws, God's ways, God's testimony. Give attention. Remember, this is to the people of God. Give attention to God. And what he has to say about your life and situation. Make room for God as the central focus in your life. But instead of doing that, the king and the people are pursuing other sources of encouragement and counsel. And great unrest becomes anger and fear and blaming God for their circumstances. And the result is increased distress and great darkness. They cannot see life for what it is because they are not seeking after God. So then, after those cheerful words, in typical prophetic style, Isaiah abruptly shifts gears and speaks words of hope. Very standard for many of the prophets. Words of condemnation and warning, words of hope. Words of condemnation, words of hope. So let's stand together and let's hear the words of hope uh, that he speaks. Together, here we go. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead, brothers and sisters, be seated. Wow. Quite the change, huh? Quite the change. Great words of hope. Don, let's put up our our next slide. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, the question that comes to my mind when I read that is, Who's going to be calling him these things? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And your question to talk with your neighbor about is why might these descriptions of the child to be born be meaningful to the people of Judah? Gave you a little bit of their history, unrest and and fear of enemies and future. Why might these descriptions of the child be meaningful to the people of Judah? It had to mean something to them as it means something to us and has meant something to God's people all through the ages. So ask your neighbor, what do you think? Talk about that for just a minute or two. All right. Noise is going down just a little bit here. Good energy. Good en- what, so what do you think? Why might these, these titles have, have been an encouragement? What did your neighbor think? You always blame it on your neighbor. That's sounding pretty attractive at the thought of the Assyrians breathing on your northern borders. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful counselor might have the answers they're seeking. Good. I like that. There's a hand over here. Was it? Okay. Good. Yeah. 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 What else? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The one closest that we would probably think of is, is mighty God in terms of rule, but, but that's a whole different league. Yeah, good observation. Yeah, yeah. Yes, great hope. Great hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because they're, in comparison size-wise, army-wise, such a small... Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Real, real life. That, that had to be so much of, of what the people heard and, and felt. And I, I found myself thinking that, that there perhaps would have been both encouragement, as you have, have expressed, as well as I think perhaps some confusion in this as well. I think they probably heard these words and, and there was that sense of, of relief. Oh, good, finally. You know, someone who can bring order and, and security, someone someone who has a plan, someone who, who can bring and keep peace. That would have been very encouraging. But it's a child. 
who has been born. I'm not so sure that a child king would have been an encouragement. Because it would mean that better times weren't coming anytime soon. Whoever this child was, even if he was, and I'm thinking through their, their perspective, whoever this child was, even if he was born tomorrow, he wouldn't rule for many years. You know, they may have been thinking back to King Uzziah, their beloved king, been on the throne for 52 years, and he started when he was 16 years old. But even so, if history were to repeat itself, that would be at least 16 years that they would have to wait. The nature of prophecy, as many of you know, is, is always such that there is a sense of both the now and the not yet. And I think oftentimes when we are reading prophecy, we're reading it through our linear grid of reasoning and thinking. And we're reading the words of prophecy that came from our God who is outside the boundaries of linear thinking and time. The people of Judah were living in a time of not yet. The child, in fact, would not be born for 700 years. And the government that was going to be on his shoulders, they would never see it. And it's here, oddly enough perhaps, that I think the prophecy has a significant twist of importance for those of us who are living on the other side of Jesus' life, if I can say it that way. The people didn't know when they heard these words of Isaiah. They didn't know that they were 700 years away from the life of that child to be born. We, on the other side of that child's birth, are 2,000 years into the future looking back. And we know a whole lot more about that child. We know why he came. We know what he did. We have the Gospels that narrate his life for us. We have the epistles that put theological truth together based on his life. We know that there is a kingdom that Jesus will ultimately usher in at the end of the ages when he comes to take his throne as ruler of the world. But... I think there is both a a now and a not yet for us as well in what we know. There is also a sense in which, and we've talked about this many times at Applewood, his kingdom can be ushered in now. Right where we live. Right in the midst of the circumstances precisely because of who we know him to be. The child, Jesus, our Redeemer. The child 
spoken of in Isaiah 9, who, you remember, taught his followers to pray to God as Heavenly Father and request that his kingdom would come, be done, his will be done on earth now is the sense of that prayer, even as it is in heaven. It is Jesus, the child of Isaiah 9, who went around teaching about the kingdom of God and heaven and announcing that it was here and in their presence as he taught. And it is that same Jesus who sent his spirit into those who are his followers so that they could live in the light of God and within the value system of his kingdom, both now and not yet. You with me? Isaiah said that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Not the folks who were 700 years before that light. We have seen that great light. We know who that great light was. We know much about that great light. We know much about how that great light dispels darkness and changes things. Not just a little light. A great light. A great light. That the light of God that shines through His Son into the darkness in which we live. So, and the character of God revealed in His Son. Wow, more clearly than anyone in ancient Judah ever had the privilege of seeing. It's amazing. Here we are. How are we doing with that? You know, and just like God's people then, we are living, as we've said, in a dark world. And I think the important question is how does Jesus, the light of the world, revealing the character of God, how does that minister to us and encourage us to live as people who have come out of the darkness into his wonderful light? Like that Navy pilot, when the the darkness outside is beginning to come inside, what do we do? Do we trust the light that has been given us? Or are we looking elsewhere for solutions, for encouragement, for answers? So, Do you have any ideas where this sermon series might be going for the next few weeks? He is, Jesus is to us, not just for the future, not 700 years from now or who knows when, but he is also for us in the present a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. 
Jesus told his followers, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is a prince of peace. For sure, he's going to be all of these things to us forever, but I believe he's these things to us now as well. And so then the question again is, what difference is that making in our lives on a daily basis? Seemed like a good place to start in 2017. What do you think? So we're going to take each one of these titles, one per Sunday. There'll be a couple of interruptions probably. Explore what they mean for us as, as people living in a very dark and very troubled world. What does it mean that Jesus is our wonderful counselor? What does it mean that he is our mighty God? What does it mean that he is the everlasting father and the prince of peace? How is that impacting the truth of who we are and how we live our lives in this desperately dark world that needs to see the light of God. Because I think that the epiphany that we have, the appearing, the manifestation of Jesus, that's an epiphany. The epiphany of Jesus that we have given to us in the scriptures is for others as well. And as we live out our life with him who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, others have the opportunity for that same epiphany in their own lives. So I hope you'll, hope you'll begin to read these, these descriptions. Isaiah 9 is where we've been this morning. Spend some time thinking about them, meditating on them, praying over them. Quiet yourself with the Lord and and ask the Spirit if he would, would open your heart and open your mind to the possibilities of both encouragement for dark places where you find yourself living, but also challenge, perhaps, to be an epiphany for others by the way that you and I live our lives in response to who Christ is for us, according to Isaiah. So next Sunday, we're going to give some thought to Jesus as the wonderful counselor. What comes to mind for you? Think about this through the week. When you, when you hear that word, counselor, what does that mean? What makes a good counselor? What makes a bad counselor? How do those things fit with or not fit with who Jesus is as he's revealed to us in Scripture? How about that word, wonderful? What does that mean? And then a question I think that's important for all of us is, do we know that he's wonderful because that's what we've heard and read? Or have we spent enough time 
with the counselor to know firsthand that he is wonderful. So that's where we're going, my friends, over the course of the next few Sundays. So let me pray for us this morning, and then we're going to turn to the communion table as the people of God. Lord Jesus, we recognize in a very limited, frail human way your amazing greatness. And we exalt you, you who are our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We want to grow in these weeks to come in our understanding of your character through those roles in our lives. Would you open our hearts and open our minds? Holy Spirit, would you be stirring in us that perhaps this start to 2017 will be a time of growth and challenge and stretching and renewal so that we might become more and more as individuals and collectively the people of God who live in the truth of the light that we have been given for the sake of those who have yet to see that light. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.